Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to this very special episode of the Inclusive Class Podcast. Through interviews and discussions, it's our goal to explore the promise and practice of inclusive education. I'm Nicole Erdix, and I'm one of your hosts for the show. I'm a parent, inclusion teacher, and creator of the online resource, theinclusiveclass.com. And joining me here on the Inclusive Class this morning is my co-host, Terry Morrow. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Nicole, and welcome to all our listeners. I am Terry Morrow. I'm the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education, and I write about the uh, special needs for about.com at specialchildren.about.com. I'd like to mention anybody out there listening to us live that we're not taking phone calls. And, Nicole, are you opening the chat room today, or are we focusing all our attention on our guest? I will open the chat room. Okay. So if anybody has any questions they'd like to suggest, uh, go ahead and type them in there, and Nicole will ask them if we have time. I'm just thrilled to this today to be talking to our guest, and I will let Nicole uh, go ahead and introduce that. Thank you, Terry. As I mentioned this morning, we are having a special episode of our podcast because we have Dr. Temple Grandin joining us here this morning to talk about autism and to help us understand ways in which Children with Autism Learn, and How Schools Can Better Support Autistic Learners. Now, many of you have uh, read Dr. Temple Grandin's books and have heard her speak. I'd like to give uh, an introduction just to give you a bit of background. Uh, In addition to being, being an animal science expert and professor at the Colorado State University, Temple Grandin is a leading author and advocate in the field of autism. Dr. Grannon has been working tirelessly to change our understanding of autism and to see the potential in autistic children and appreciate their gifts. And recently, HBO released an Emmy Award-winning movie about her life, and in 2010, she was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People. For more information about Dr. Grannon and her work, you can go to www.templegrannon.com. And without further ado, I'm very honored to welcome Temple Grandin to our show. Good morning. It's great to be here. I got a little bit of a cold, so I'm a little hoarse, but it's really good to be here. Thank you so much for joining us, despite uh, your cold. And I know that um, Terry is uh, also got a little bit of a challenge with her. Um, yes, ca- I am calling in this morning. Parking lot at Bergen Community College, because I'm here at the school with my son today, but. Wanted to definitely be in on this uh, conversation. So if you all hear traffic noises in the background, I apologize. <laughs> well, I'm in the parking lot of our animal science building. It's under construction. And I hey. hope they don't back any construction equipment in during this call because I'll be beeping. <laughs> Nicole, you need to go right now and go sit in your car. I need a parking lot. Uh, I'm actually sitting it's in my car It's a theme broadcast. Right <laughs> oh, I'm my goodness. in my car because... The temporary offices, they're remodeling our building, and the temporary offices that I have, we've got really awful cell reception. I've got a decent signal in my car, and that's why I'm here. <laughs> well, you're in your car. Terry's in her car. I'm in my office, but I've got some dogs in the background. So this is going to be a very professional interview. <laughs> okay. So anyway, despite all of our uh, own personal challenges here this morning, 
we have such a great topic to talk about because, um, you know, we're all becoming more aware of children who have autism. And I think through, obviously, your work, um, Dr. Grand, and, and just through uh, schools being more accommodating, I believe, in terms of, um, you know, taking children with autism and really working hard to understand and to help them uh, with their learning. But before we get into learning and education, can you please describe and define for our audience what autism is? Well, autism is a very, very big spectrum. Because at one end of the spectrum, you have Einstein at no speech until age three. Steve Jobs Mm -hmm. had a lot of autistic traits. Half of Silicon Valley's got some autism. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got somebody that's nonverbal, maybe has epilepsy, all kinds of other very serious problems. So how did this diverse group all get called autism? Because when the kids are three years old, they all look, um, you know, very similar. And, and I, when they get into the classroom, once you get beyond the early intervention, the very early intervention, you need to be dealing with two- and three-year-olds to kind of diverge into two groups. You know, sort of the verbal group that participate in the regular classroom, often gifted in one area, and one mistake that often gets made, some of these little math geniuses, is they're not allowed to go ahead and math, you know, they need special ed reading, that kid needs to be uh, allowed to go ahead and do the next grade, the next grade, the next grade of math, if he can do it, and then you've got individuals with a lot more severe uh, problems. It's a very big spectrum, it's uh, got a very much a genetic basis. Um, I was uh, nonverbal until age four, and mm-hmm. I was mainstreamed into a normal school, but it was a small little school. This was in the 50s. Twelve kids in a class in a country school, old-fashioned, 50s-style structured classroom that worked right. for me. Right. If it had been a school today with 30 kids in the class, I'm sure I would have had to have had a maid. Yeah. Right, yeah. And that's the challenge that... Okay. Um, we find these days is with the number of children in the class and trying to find the time to give them the, the attention that they need. And now specifically then, and, and I know this is a really broad question because every child has their own unique way of learning, but can you describe or give us an overall description of how a child with autism learns? And I know that I've heard you speak about the way you learn, which is in pictures and you're a very visual learner. Yeah, there's a way they learn, but the other thing is sensory problems. I went off the okay. and the school bell went off. It hurt my ears. And, right. uh, you know, fire drills can be really problematic. Some kids can't stand fluorescent lights because they can see it flickering like a strobe light going on and off. This is going mm-hmm. to be very variable. You can also have some kids with dyslexia, learning problems, ADHD, that also have these sensory problems. And there are some individuals where they've just got to be gotten away from the fluorescent lights, like they put their desk over by the window. I had a dyslexic student that had this problem, and she just couldn't function under uh, fluorescent lights. And then there's mm-hmm. other autistic kids not going to bother them. And the other thing is autistic learners are bottom-up thinkers. They learn concepts by specific examples. For example, if you want to teach a concept like the words up and down, you need to teach it with several different specific examples. Like you go down the stairs. I sat down on a chair. The plane went down and landed. Uh, the uh, ball rolled down the hill. You give you know, a bunch of different examples to make that concept of down. Concepts are made up of specific examples. That's a very important thing 
on teaching autistic kids. And I talk about this in my book, The um, Way I See It, and also my other book, The Autistic Brain. Mm-hmm. So very concrete, lots of examples uh, would be very beneficial then in a classroom. Well, one question always comes up is reading comprehension. And mm-hmm. and oftentimes they ask too vague a question. You know, let's say the the, uh, the kids read in, in third grade a story about explorers going to the North Pole. Well, don't start out with the question, well, winter clothes me is at the North Pole. Let's start with something a little more concrete, like how many explorers were on the expedition? You know, how many okay. miles did they travel? Start out with very concrete things. Or let's say you read a story about shopping trip and Jane went and bought jewelry and, and Jim bought a uh, uh, T-shirt. Uh, right. Okay, the first question you'd ask is, what did Jim buy? The next question might be, which person bought a piece of clothing? Okay, that's mm-hmm. the next level of abstraction. Right, right. You see, you start out with no abstraction and then gradually go up to the next level of abstraction. Right, so it's okay. a gradual introduction. That's right. Now, and that's that sort of, some of these kids also... You know, you're on the high end of the spectrum. They might be really gifted in math. They're really gifted in art. Build on the area of strength. Build that mm-hmm. up. My ability in art was always encouraged. I was hopeless with algebra. And the mistake that was made to that is we didn't jump to geometry, and that was a gigantic mistake. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So working with their strengths, of course, is key. And of course, and I and I've heard you mention too that there are areas that. Um, can be very, you know, weak that needs, um, yes. you know, support with, uh, but it's also identifying their strengths as well and seeing the gifts that are there. So well, too often which is, they pound away on the deficits and they don't do enough on the area of giftedness because when I travel around and I'll go out to Silicon Valley or I'll go out to meat plant and I find older people my age in good jobs, tech jobs, uh, running the maintenance shop at a big plant, keep the whole plant falling down. I know the guy's spectrum. And then I see Junior kind of on the higher end of the spectrum, that label's holding him back. Right. Um, and because and, the problem is the label's so broad. Right. You know, yeah. they put the, high, you know, the real smart, gifted kid in the same basket with a kid that's obviously not going to be getting yeah. a high-level job. Yeah, yeah exactly. Another thing done that I think is terrible is taking out the hands-on classes, all the mm-hmm. music, art, sewing, yes. woodworking, welding, all the skilled trades things. Because mm-hmm. there's some individuals on the spectrum, they're the perfect jobs. Not everybody, yeah. but maybe 20 or 25% of them are the fully verbal kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, um, can you tell us, this is kind of a very, uh, another sort of broad question, but I know that... Um, you know, for us in particular, we talk a lot about inclusive education, which is having children with autism in the regular classroom. Of course, some require an aid, some don't. But what do you see as a benefit for a child with autism to be in a general education classroom with uh, neurotypical children? Is I think there a benefit and what what would it be? I think it's especially important for the young kids in elementary school to get interaction with normal kids. One thing I absolutely don't want to see is a fully verbal kid put in the class 
you know, with a bunch of nonverbal kids and they're just learning the latest skims, that is not a good thing. Now, I was yeah. one of the students where a normal high school, large high school, did not work. In some cases, the normal high school works just great. So much mm-hmm. depends on the particular situation and the particular, uh, you know, people. For me, it did not work. I was teased and bullied and bullied. I ended up having to go to a special school. And the only places I had friends was who shared interests, things like horseback riding and electronics. Right. If you have a kid that's in a normal high school, get them involved with special interest things, music, art, the school play, the school newspaper, band, all of those kinds of things, because those are the things where they can get social interaction. But there's some high school kids that just get so bullied they need to be taken out. And then yeah. what I would do with them, for the fully verbal kids, is finish them up online, but you know what? They need to get a job. When I was 13, okay. my mother got me a little job uh, working for a freelance dressmaker. When I was 15, I was cleaning horse stalls. These kids yeah. have got to learn how to work. We need okay. paper out substitutes. Okay. And that's yeah. to get them interacting with um, one another, learning social interaction, learning skills, being involved with the community, which the places where I had social interaction was with the students with shared interests. My friends were the horseback crowd, the electronics uh, electronics club kids, and the model rocket club kids. And those also mm-hmm. were places where there was no teasing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It Thank you. Sounds, sounds like maybe you feel that, that full inclusion is not necessarily the answer, that it sort of depends on the kid and the school and as long as there is some inclusive activities in their life, there may be other parts of the well, day that I would be better off. Well, I think, a, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm not a top-down thinker. I yeah. look at things specific examples. I went, mm-hmm. I was, was mainstreamed in a normal elementary school. That worked. Mm-hmm. A large, yeah. regular high school did not work. But I have talked to other parents where their kid's doing great in the local high school. He's in band, yeah. and he's in music, and he's loving it, and it's working. That situation mm-hmm. is working. Okay, then yeah. you take a child that's nonverbal. I talked to a very nice teacher um, uh, recently who really was working hard. She was teaching an elementary school class, and uh-huh. she had a very severely uh, case of autism, nonverbal, made a lot of movement, uh, involuntary movements he couldn't control, uh, absolutely mm-hmm. did not interact with the other students at all, yeah. disrupted the class. It was not working. This was a very nice teacher that wanted to make it work. This situation yeah. was not working. See, I, th- I the way I kind of go with it, I want to do with little kids in elementary school as yeah. much inclusion as reasonably possible. I'm going to put mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I know in our school district they tried doing it the other way, that they were segregated in elementary school and then they brought them together in high school. And it's like at that no. point it's really difficult to integrate. You know, you've got to start backwards. it when they're little. That's backwards. The yes. little kid is where I I want inclusion a whole lot more for them. Little little kids. Mm-hmm. That's where it's the most important. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And where they're all probably most accepting too. And if you grow up with those kids in your class it's less likely to, to be bullying. Well I can remember on. in my elementary school uh, one of the students said a heart murmur and she couldn't do, you know, um, real strenuous sports. So we always mm-hmm. made a goalie and the soccer, and we made accommodations yeah. for her. Uh-huh. And and she you know, was very physically weak. And 
and uh, she was my one of my classmates. Yeah, they made accommodations for her. Mhm. Yeah, they should be able to. A lot of the accommodations you were talking about, in terms of of starting with concrete and moving to abstract, will benefit so many kids. I mean, neither of my kids has autism, but they both would have benefited from that sort of thing. And it seems like school curriculums are going the other way, where they're getting much more into abstractions much earlier. Um, but and it would be nice. Abstractions, but you've got to work into it. Start yes. out. Let's go back to what the shopping trip. You know, we have a thing where. You know, you know uh, Jim bought a T-shirt and uh, Jane bought jewelry. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you get more into, see, the first thing is just ask what they buy. Then the next abstraction yeah. would be clothing. Okay, then she bought jewelry. Well, then, mm-hmm. okay, there'll be more to this story as to why she bought jewelry. Was it for the prom? You know, what, you know, did she <laughs> right. want to impress her boyfriend with it? You know, uh-huh. you see that getting into something a bit more abstract, but work up a ladder of abstraction. When I was in college, I took a great English literature class where uh-huh. the professor just explained what Homer was trying to communicate in the Odyssey and, you know, and what Shakespeare was trying to communicate in, you know, one of his plays. You see, mm-hmm. then with those specific examples, then I could read other things. You see, you have to build up a library of specific examples. Right. So they learn how to do the abstract. But you've uh-huh. got to start with the very concrete. Yeah, it would be great to bring that into the classroom. I think a lot of kids would benefit from it. Um, what are some things that, that parents can do to help their um, autistic children be successful in school? What would you recommend for them? Well, that's so general, I almost can't answer it. <laughs> you see, this is the problem. Yeah, yeah. that are almost too general. They'll say things like, oh, my, beha- my kid has a behavior problem in the classroom. Uh-huh. I don't even know how old this kid is. Yeah, I don't, that's true. Can he talk? What kind of behavior <laughs> problem? What does he do? There's a lot yes. more information I have to have before I can even answer what to do about a behavior problem in the classroom. That's right. That's right. I need to be more concrete. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, well, starting with, uh, say, with, with our um, starting with inclusion with young children. Um, and if you have a child uh, going into a classroom uh, and you're concerned your ch- the teacher won't be able to meet your child's needs, how would you suggest a parent advocate for that, say, in One a kindergarten or first grade situation? did that helped me mm-hmm. is the teacher needs to explain to the other children that when yes. the autistic kid's not there, that he has a handicap. But it's mm-hmm. not a handicap you can see, like a wheelchair or maybe mm-hmm. they have an artificial leg or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they've got a, this child has some problems with the circuits in the brain. You can't see the handicap, and you've got to help this kid, not be teasing him. You, also, you mm-hmm. want to list the other children to be almost co-therapists. And that's right. done in my elementary school. Elementary school, for the most part, went really good. It was high school, where mm-hmm. kids were no longer interested in projects. So I had mm-hmm. friends when I was a young kid because I was very good at building stuff. And other kids mm-hmm. liked doing that. But then when it was more boyfriend and more social stuff in high school, that's where, you know, most of the other girls were not interested in those kinds of things, except my roommate, Carol, and we mm-hmm. rode horses together. Yeah. Right. 
Right. So maybe once your your kid gets the as your as your child gets older, you need to be looking for clubs for them to join, special interest groups, Absolutely. special activities Absolutely. in the community. Yeah. And Absolutely. Uh, Other thing we need to be doing when these kids are the fully verbal, and even some of the partially verbal ones, job skills. We need mm-hmm. to be doing paper route substitutes because yes. where are all the old gray hairs like me that are mildly <laughs> autistic? They all got jobs. Because uh-huh. they had paper routes when they were 12. And, right. uh, um, and they need to learn that discipline of work. I had a sewing job when I was 13, cleaning horse stalls when I was 15. When I was mm-hmm. in college, I did career relevant internships. I'm seeing right. too many kids when they graduate from college and they haven't learned the discipline of having a job. It needs to start at around 12. How about things like just setting up the next door neighbors that they can walk two dogs every day? Right. They can run the community website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can mow yeah. lawn. They can uh, uh, do a whole lot of things. Help an old lady buy her groceries every week. Something uh-huh. that's a job. Right. Yeah. I have another question that sort of relates back to um, inclusion in elementary schools. Do you see more schools, or have you heard just from talking to parents and community groups? Do you see that more schools are trying to include students with autism than ever before, or what's your general feeling on that? Um, what I find pretty much the same. So much gets down to the particular school, the particular people, and the particular situation. I travel okay. all around the country. Some states kind of tend to do a better job than others, and I'll talk to one family. Their kids doing great at the local public school, just great. Then I go over to another meeting. I talk to another family, the school. The parents and the teachers hate each other's guts. It's an absolute mess. <laughs> and that's not going to work. No. Yeah. It, it so much depends upon the particular situation and the particular teachers involved. Let's have a little flexibility and be not so bureaucratic about how we do stuff mm-hmm. and just figure it out and do it. Yeah, and I think that's the message that so many people that we've talked to is that figure it out, do it. You know, if there's a will, there's a way. And Well, it's not, uh, a lot of the things aren't complicated things, like maybe you take the child out before you do the fire drill so it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, blast his ears out. Right. And mm-hmm. make a um, turn off the fluorescent light near the kid's desk and bring a lamp in from home. Just right. simple things. Yes. Oftentimes, very simple things will work. In my books, the way I see it, and the autistic brain, I um, talk about a lot of tips that you can just do in the classroom. Right. I was just going to ask you about that, actually, about your recent book. And um, very quickly back to an example that you had given. Uh, as a child, you were afraid of balloons, correct? And yes. uh, there was a way that you had um, taught yourself or... Um, you were exposed to balloons so that you eventually became more comfortable with it. Can you describe how that happened? If if the child initiates the dreaded sound, that works better. So the ideal thing to do with plopping balloons would be to blow a balloon up really tiny, I pop it. Mm -hmm. Then we blow it up a little bit bigger, I pop it. So it gradually gets louder. Or if it's a smoke alarm, you know, you you wrap it all up in a ton of towels, you let the kid turn it on, and then mm-hmm. you gradually take the towels off. See, if the child initiates the dreaded sound, 
They can sometimes mm-hmm. learn to tolerate it. Also, okay. if a kid's wearing headphones or earplugs, that's okay for noisy stuff like the gym and the cafeteria. But then they need to be off at other times when they're quiet at home. Because if you leave that headphone on all day, the ear gets more sensitive. They've got to mm-hmm. be off for at least half the day, only on for really noisy times like the cafeteria. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good to know. Terry, did you have a question? Uh, let's see. Uh, where would you um, uh, suggest people uh, go to learn more about autism? Are there some websites you particularly recommend or books? Uh, certainly well, your own. I, I recommend everybody read those. I recommend, but. I recommend my books. Uh, uh-huh. The way I see it, it's my most, one of my most basic books, a lot of little short chapters full of tips. The Autistic Brain mm-hmm. uh, talks about the different kinds of thinking. Some kids are visual thinkers, some kids are mathematical thinkers. It has a mm-hmm. lot of stuff on employment and a lot of stuff on sensory issues and tips on dealing right. with with sensory issues. Also, I'd recommend that parents join a local support group so uh-huh. they can find out what resources are available. But the problem is we've got a big spectrum here. And you take a smart kid that maybe uh, not, you know, real smart in math but needs some special ed reading, he needs uh-huh. a very different service than maybe a nonverbal child that's very severe with epilepsy on top of the autism. Right. Uh, maybe the inclusive classroom that, in that situation won't work. Then there's mm-hmm. other situations where the nonverbal child will work in the inclusive classroom. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So definitely trying to find some support. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing is uh, we've got to make sure, especially with kids on the higher end of the spectrum, they don't get a handicap mentality. I'm seeing too many kids they were less severe than me, they come up to me at meetings, and all I want to do is talk about their autism. Because autistic mm-hmm. kids get fixated on their favorite things. I'd rather have them get fixated on mathematics, astronomy, or art, or history, yeah. than uh-huh. fixated on their autism. Because right. I yeah. want them to grow up and have a career. Right, and right. I'm seeing too many kids on the smart end of the spectrum not getting employed and, and almost getting too coddled and getting addicted to video games. And that mm-hmm. needs to be limited to one hour a day of video games or what I'm going to call just recreational screen time. Yeah, right. So getting them out, focusing on their strengths, having them, and I guess at least as well, communicating that with the school. If you're a parent, communicating right. to the school what also, your child's strengths are. We need to be teaching basic social skills. And you mm-hmm. just do it in the community. Like we went out to dinner, I had to learn how to order food. My mother would have dinner parties, and by the time I was seven years old, I had to put mm-hmm. on my best clothes, and I had to greet each guest. It was good evening, <laughs> Mr. Wood. There was no call uh-huh. home. It was Mr. Wood. And learn how to shake hands. Right. I'm seeing kids, they don't know how to shake hands. Nobody yeah. demonstrated that to them. Just, you know, they don't know how to go up to the counter at McDonald's and order the food. Yes, little Timmy does need to learn how to do that. You take him in there when it's not busy. You know, you go shopping and he grabs candy off the counter. Mm -hmm. Well, when he does that, you just, you don't scream no. Say, put it back. We're not buying candy today. Or let's say um, your kid uh, makes a rude comment about a fat lady. You just say, that's a rude comment. Don't say those things. In other words, give the instruction. Mm -hmm. When they make a social mistake, Instead of screaming no, 
give the instruction. Like we're at the dinner table, and I, I, I want to get the mashed potatoes, and I just reach for it. Mother would say, ask your sister to pass it. Give the right. instruction instead of screaming right. no. So giving them examples, providing them with time to practice those examples, those are all wonderful suggestions. And I know that you were saying that you have more suggestions in your books. And um, oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely people should uh, pick them up and have a read. And I'm just looking at our time today, and we are coming to an end of our show. So I wanted to thank you so very, very much uh, for joining us this morning, despite yes, um, your your cold and your um, <laughs> office situation. <laughs> but thank you so much, Dr. Grannon, for it's joining us this morning. Thank you. <laughs> we much appreciate all the information that you've given us, and I would like to thank our listeners for tuning into our program this morning. I will be posting uh, Dr. Grannon's website up on my website and on the inclusiveclass.com as well as her recent books. And I would like to let everyone know to please join us again on Friday morning at 9 a.m., our regular time, when we will be talking to Nancy Pesky, co-author of Raising a Sensory Smart Child. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where I tweet under the name inclusive underscore class, and Terry is at Mamatude. Um, Dr. Grannon, are you on Facebook or Twitter? Well, I have, you know, Teresa runs my Facebook account, um, but I... Well, no, Facebook I have to would say maybe I'm a little bit old-fashioned. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook, it is okay. We'll look you up, and finally, you can download our past podcasts for free on Stitcher and t- iTunes. Goodbye, everyone, and have a great week. Thank you very much, Dr. Grannon, and goodbye, Terry. Goodbye, okay, thank and thank you, you so much. Me. Thank nice you. Nice talking to you. <laughs>